you know that the Brits have got to get their finger in a meat pie. Like, they just got to get their just knuckle deep in a meat pie. Welcome back to Privy. Privy is a podcast about bathrooms. Recorded this week, I am on location in a porta potty. Uh, this is kind of a test, but um, I'm I am in a honey bucket this week. Now, I will confess at the gate here, um, I am not in a, a a branded, licensed branded honey bucket. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's uh, I won't say who provides this bucket, but uh, it is one nonetheless. And I can assure you, though it has not been used in a couple weeks, uh, I am not trespassing. I do have permission here, and uh, it does still very much smell like a porta potty. So uh, I am on location here this week, and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm I'm a little I, I got a little bit of fire in me this morning. Um, I just spent two hours at the uh, Social Security office. If you don't know, social, the Social Security office is hell on earth. Uh, you you sit there mindlessly waiting with for for people who can't possibly answer you information. Um, I I did ask before waiting the two hours if the documents I had were sufficient. Oh yeah, they should be was what I was told. Um, and then after waiting the uh, two hours, got up to the window. I waited my turn. Um, and it's kind of like waiting in line at Disneyland or Disney World. Never been to land, been there before. But you get up to the front and it's like Mickey Mouse just flips you the fattest bird you've ever seen in your life. You're like, yeah, we can't do it with this. We don't believe that your child exists unless you have a signed letterhead uh, nonsense from their doctor. Like you could bring a, you could drag them into this social security office. You could plop them down on my counter and they could wave at me. And yet I, yea, verily, I still would not believe their existence. Um, so yeah, the social security office is hell on earth. Uh, and so, um, what a, what a soulless hellscape it is, but I got to admit, we've got a lot to talk about this week and there's some information that I need to let you know about. Um, we're going to be discussing, uh, two different competitions this week. Uh, but before we talk about those competitions, I have a little bit of a history lesson for you. This week on Privy, we're going to Coney Island, New York. But before we go to Coney Island, we need to stop off at my backyard. And naturally, we'll be starting in Alaska. Alaska is, for America, the frosty, forbidden north. Its gold and oil-soaked and covered landscape uh, is, is one that now is, is home to both tourism and, and some people call it home. Um, but I think a lot of people view it as a destination to go for hunting and fishing and the like. Russian expeditions uh, reached Alaska by the early 18th century. And colonial traders... These were fur traders. They wanted to to get those animals, get them furs, uh, boots with the fur. On on some islands in parts of Alaskan Peninsula, groups of Russian traders proved capable of relatively peaceful coexistence. So the Russians the Russians have landed, and at first they were able to dwell somewhat peacefully with the native Alaskans in the area there. However, other groups 
had tensions and there were extractions and the like. And hostages were taken, individuals were enslaved, families were split up. It was bad news. Much like, you know, I, I think this is not, but like colonialism hasn't been great. Like the forced enslavement and the forced, like that's bad. But nonetheless, it is something that can be recorded as happening uh, in, in Alaska to the Alaskan natives. During the first two generations of Russian contact, 80% of the Alawit population died from diseases that were brought in. Uh, they had no immunity. Uh, you know, in America, we learn about how the pilgrims brought smallpox and, and the like. So was true for the Alaskan natives and the Russians that, that came in. At the end of the 1800s, or 18th century, 1784, Grigory Ivanovich Shilakov, what a name, uh, just, if you ever, if you ever want to go for a great name for your child, Shilakov is it. Um, they arrived at Three Saints Bay on Kodiak Island and began operating the fur trading company, Shilakov Golikov Company. Shilakov and Golikov, I bet, were homies. Shilakov and his group killed hundreds of the Konyag people there. They founded the first permanent Russian settlement in Alaska on the island's Three Saints Bay. And by 1788, Shilakov and others had established a number of Russian settlements over a large region, including the mainland areas around the Cook Inlet. Gotta trade those furs. They killed a bunch of people doing it, but, you know, we gotta get the fur money. In short, for a long time, Russia more or less laid claim to Alaska via colonization, spreading religion and disease to the area for years. But we need to go back because Spain technically beat Russia to Alaska, which is embarrassing because Alaska is practically touching Russia. Like, imagine, imagine Spain, which is, I mean, pretty much on the other side of the globe from Alaska, beating Russia, which is like a French kiss away from Russia, or from Alaska. It's just embarrassing. But Spain beat Russia to Alaska, and, and Spanish claims to the Alaska region dated to the Papal Bull of 1493. Now, they, they never involved colonization, forts, or settlement. Instead, Madrid sent out various naval expeditions to explore the area and claim it for Spain. In 1775, Bruno de Jazita led an expedition, the Sonora, under Bodega, whatever. They reached latitude 58 degrees north, entered the Sitka Sound, and claimed the region for Spain. Viva la Spaniard! The 1779 expedition of Ignacio, okay, they launched a bunch of, and they pushed as far north as 61 degrees north. In 1788, Esteban Jose Martinez and Gonzalo Lopez de Haro visited Russian settlements in Unalaska. Now, um, the Spanish and the Russians have met. Now, also... In, in the Alaskan pie, you know that the Brits have got to get their finger in a meat pie. Like, they just got to get their just knuckle deep in a meat pie. British settlements at the time in Alaska consisted of a few scattered trading posts, which, with most settlers arriving by sea. 
Captain James Cook, midway through his third and final voyage of exploration in 1778, sailed along the west coast of North America um, from then Spanish California all the way to the Bering Strait. During the trip, he discovered what became known as the Cook Inlet, named in honor of him uh, by George Vancouver, who served under his command, which was in Alaskan waters. The, the Bering Strait proved impassable for them, and the British ships left the Straits to return to Hawaii in 1779. Now, uh, about 10 years later, the Nootka Crisis led to a war between Britain and Spain. Britain rejected Spanish claims to lands in British Columbia, and Spain seized some British ships. The crisis was resolved in Madrid by the Nootka Conventions in 1790 uh, and provided that traders of both Britain and Spain could operate in the northwest coast, that the captured British ships should be returned, and an indemnity paid. This was a victory for Britain, and Spain, as a result, essentially withdrew from, from the North Pacific. When, when you think of Alaska, you do not think of Spain, and, and these are the reasons why. In 1799, Emperor Paul I from Russia formed the Russia-American Company to further establish fur trade and Russian settlements in the Alaska Territory. Now, keep in mind, this is post-1776, so he ain't dealing with Britain. He's dealing with America. Figure it out. Financial difficulties in Russia, however, uh, and the low profits of trade in the Alaskan settlement and, and Britain's desire to just keep British hands off, or sorry, Russia's desire to just keep Britain out of the meat pie made them willing to sell Alaska formally, which is weird because, like, I guess it was theirs, to North America. At the instigation, um, Secretary of State William so Seward purchased Alaska from Russia for $7.2 million in 1867. Um, this purchase is known as Seward's Folly, Seward's Icebox, and Andrew Johnson's Polar Bear Garden. It was unpopular among many people at the time. That is, until they discovered gold and oil. Them's, there's gold in them hills. Though purchased in 1867, Alaska wouldn't be admitted into the Union of United States, the United States, uh, here we are, uh, until 1959, that's incredibly recent, and later adopted the motto for their state, North to the Future. It should be noted that there are still a number of Alaska Native groups uh, dwelling in the frosty forbidden North, uh, and, and many of them, uh, yeah, here we are. It, it's the tale as old as time in American history. But, but we're here. We need to talk about bathrooms. We're here for the bathroom talk. Where's the bathroom talk? For goodness sakes, I'm sitting in a porta potty uh, and, and not for no reason. Like, I didn't this week just say, you know what? I think I'm going to leave the moderately smell good in nature of, of my home bathroom and come out here to uh, a farm and sit in a porta potty, which I, I will report I did urinate into. Um, moments before beginning this record. A choice that I believe has stirred up the Blue Lagoon under me, thus resulting in an unfortunate stench. Um, but we need to talk about bathrooms.
talk about this week's topic, we got to discuss Alaska. As with most of the world in, in late history, the bathroom landscape was quite a bit different than it is now. During the 1930s, there arose in use in the Alaskan wilderness and later adopted amongst natives a way of disposing waste referred to as the honey bucket. In short, the honey bucket arose as a means of making a makeshift privy by attaching a toilet seat or other seat with an opening on it to a bucket or other container which then could be dumped. Think of the, the piss pots and others from history, um, but this time you do full Charlie Brown into it and just make it a day. This, uh, the use of these, likely arose and became popular in Alaska and, and, and in this region of the world where the soil is hard, frozen, and difficult to dig through with older instruments. In Alaska, it arose as a primary waste disposal method. So much so that many Alaska natives still elect to use this system today. And as we're going to see, some are just Alaskan citizens and not, not part of the native population. Um, but one of the nice things that happens when you dig an outhouse or a preview pit is you don't really have to empty it. I mean, you do. But you don't have to for as long. Like, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Like, even where I'm seated now... I can't see any of the, uh, maybe a little bit, but I can't see most of the brown that has, has gone before me, uh, and, and it's a good thing, out of sight, out of mind. I wonder when the last time this outhouse was serviced, does it say? 628, somebody came out and, and serviced it, and that would have been prior to its last time being used which I know was July 2nd. So, I mean, it's, it's got some in here. But, it, I mean, it's clean. Like, there's a little bit of splashage, but, like, we don't need to talk about that. We're, we're, we're going to sanitize everything when we're done. That's what we need to know. You get the little chart on the back of the thing. That's nice. Also, there's a hook. I don't know if you knew this. I only know this because I had to hang a bag because I brought all my stuff in a recording bag. But there's a little coat hook bag. There's actually there's actually two coat hooks in this in this outhouse. Um, it, yeah, it's it's actually kind of interesting. There's a lot more room in here than I anticipated. You know, uh, uh, former guest of the show and future returning guest uh, Josh Wehrman, he wanted to be here for this record today. It didn't work out for me scheduling wise to set that up, but he wanted to cram himself in here with me. And you know, at first I was like, I don't think so. And I still don't think so. I know they have bigger, bigger porta potties for that, and we'll we'll track one down. But I, if we had to, we could have done it. If anything, just prop the door open and have him sit. But yeah, you you had to empty the bucket, and so often this would be emptied into any of Alaska's many water supplies. Now, it needs to say that is not good. Like you. Anytime you're emptying human fowl into a water supply, it can't be a good thing. You might think, man, like the 1930s, that's so long ago. Like that's almost 100 years ago. I mean, that's practically still Russian Alaska. Oh, nay, verily there. Honey buckets, these, these, poop, these poop buckets, buckets with a seat on them that you poop into, um, were used, uh, uh, were in such wide use in Alaska that first, 
they are still used today. It is estimated that in 2015, there was about 3,300 homes that still use or, or require the use of a honey bucket. And that is not counting Alaskan natives who likely still use this innovation. Second, they are the honey bucket is so common and is so ingrained in Alaskan culture and society that the Alaska.gov website has a pamphlet for proper and suggested honey bucket waste disposal. Yes, in the real world, on the internet, on a, on a state's government website, there is guidelines for using, taking a dump into a bucket and how to get rid of that dump out of the bucket into, as we're going to see, some hole in the ground. Could you imagine going over to someone's house and like, hey, can I use the restroom? Oh yeah, third door on the left. And you, you know, you go down, oh, and you're looking at all the family pictures on your way down the hallway and you just pop the door open and it's just a shed with a bucket in it. Or better yet, it's an actual bathroom. Like it's got the sink in the bathtub and, and, and all of the things that we expect in a bathroom. But then there's just a honey bucket sitting in the middle of the, just the thing as if it's the most normal thing ever. Like, how dare you even ask if this is where you're supposed to go? But yeah, it's, it's still in wide enough use in Alaska that it's like, okay, okay, okay. We know how much you love your honey buckets. And their suggestion is essentially this. If you have the means of digging an outhouse, you should definitely do that. Like, we know the ground is very frosty. We know it's hard. We know that, like, you're going to bust your shovel on this bee. But if you have a way of digging an outhouse or a privy pit, you should definitely go for that. But if you can't, or if you just love the honey bucket so much, which, by the way, the honey bucket's such a special name, but, or, you know, you want to stick, Doug wants to stick to his roots and use the honey bucket. You don't, you don't know where you came from, son, unless you drop a stack in the honey bucket. Well, then you need to dispose of the honey bucket. All right. Sorry about that. We are back. Um, just had a battery failure on the, on the portable recording equipment. And I, I got to admit, you know, I've, I've used this thing multiple times now in recording with guests and first time we've had a battery failure and what a terrible time to have it. I'm, I'm just nestled, just, just elbow deep in this porta potty and my batteries go out now, thankfully, and shout out to Jude Domini and Kyle Fisher. I've learned like take, take spare batteries, have spare batteries. You don't want to be caught with your batteries, not with your batteries hanging out. Um, in a porta potty of all places, do you know what I'm saying? But back to where we were, it you know Doug wants to go back to his roots and and poop in in the honey bucket and for like honey like what do you call the turds once they're in the honey bucket that you have to dump? Do you call them your honey? I gotta go dump. Hey babe, I gotta go dump the honey tonight. I don't like. But here's here's the short and sweet of the Alaska.gov's summation of the honey bucket dumping. Quit dumping it in the water. Like, stop it. Quit. One thing they suggest is that if you and your neighbors can all agree and figure it out, you can dig a honey bucket trench. So good. What's a honey bucket trench, you ask? 
Well, I think you know. You know how like we've talked about how they used to have like crap gutters in cities and they would just like rinse the turds down the middle of the city in the gutter? Well, it's essentially like that, but they're not really rinsing it more as they're just using this as the dumping grounds for the honey in the honey buckets. You essentially dig a trench and you put your honey into it. They say you can dig one, but be smart about it. Dig one at a time, and when it's full, you should cover it with about a foot of extra soil in order to allow for settling. Woof. Like you just go out and you're just walking around. You're, you know, they don't, they don't tell you that when, when people, you know, schedule these Alaskan excursions where they're going out into the wilderness. They don't talk about how they're just walking along and they look over and say, oh, what are those cool looking mounds on the ground? Oh, that's where people have buried their turds and have thus buried it in order to finally deal with it. Just walking around Alaska and seeing a bunch of poo mounds. It's so prominent that many waste disposal sites in Alaska actually just have honey bucket trenches built in. In periods of high snow and rainfall, where flooding has occurred, these trenches wash out. Not good, very bad. You, you want the human turds to stay where the human turds were placed because if you then have surprise return of the human turds, that's bad. You don't want that. Like, for instance, there is a lake of filth below me. I'm in a porta potty, if you didn't catch that. Um, and like, if this seat cracks or something really goes south, like there's a tank. I'm, I pray to Jesus that this tank doesn't like, you know, it's not used to holding a 250 pound dude on it for more than five, 10 minutes probably. And here I am sitting aloof. Uh, but if it cracks, there's going to be dookie everywhere in here. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to evacuate this thing real fast. Just saying. What's wild is much of Alaska didn't have plumbing and water until a big push to implement this infrastructure statewide. And, and that push didn't occur in rural areas until the 1990s. From the 1990s until now, Alaska and the federal government have spent over $2 billion to work out these plumbing concerns. Now, while urban areas of Alaska have the amenities known to most of the contiguous U.S., Sent Flint, Michigan. Shout out to Flint, Michigan. Don't drink the water. Sorry, Flint. Uh, it's too soon. I wish y'all the best. But it's not just poo. This is running water. Like an article was written in 2016 describing the life of Hooper Bay, Alaska. Hooper Bay is home to about 1,300 people. Now, many of these people are still using honey buckets in 2016. It's wild to think about. The scene is essentially, uh, they, they interviewed somebody of life in Hooper Bay, and they said that, you know, they, multiple times a day, if not a week, you know, they, they get on a four-wheeler with multiple five-gallon buckets tied down to ride the four-wheeler to the waste dumping site where they dump the poo before riding the four-wheeler sometimes miles back to their home, and then repeat, rinse and repeat, literally rinse, but not the same bucket, repeat for gathering water, for cooking, washing, those type things. It's not a glamorous life. It's difficult. The Alaska honey bucket is, is still in use by thousands of people as infrastructure to these remote parts of Alaska still remains uh, 
kind of open-ended. It's not a glamorous life. But the Alaska honey bucket is not the only style honey bucket in use today. And if I'm honest, the, the, the Alaska honey bucket is essentially... I, I've talked on the show about my shower toilet. Like, we need a toilet where you can just poop in the shower and then empty the, toilet, uh, empty the bucket into the, the toilet and flush from there. It's essentially an Alaska honey bucket. But, like, whatever. I'm still, sh- I'm still saying... But today, the Honey Bucket is a brand of porta potties, much like the one I'm in now, which operates primarily across the West Coast, Utah, Texas, and Colorado, and then also for some reason Georgia. Now, the Honey Bucket brand of porta potties offers a variety of services to a number of avenues of your life. But but and, and I must confess, I am not in a Honey Bucket branded porta potty now. They seem little bit little bit smaller scale but their company's interesting i need to tell you about the firsts the first of two contests that we need to discuss this week on privy the honey bucket company is running a competition from now until november where you can post a picture of yourself in front of or in you can do in a honey bucket porta potty Post it tagging the official Honey Bucket page using the hashtag HoneyBucketSelfie. If you do so, and if you win, you will be entered into a chance and could win your own Honey Bucket Porta Potty. Now, I must confess, I want to win this so bad, as that Honey Bucket Porta Potty would instantly become the PrivyCast Recording Studio away from PrivyCast Recording Studio, much like the one I am in now. When and if you enter, our only ask from the show is this. If, if, so if you, if you hear this and you say, man, I could win myself a, a honey bucket, that's awesome. I'm going to go enter. I'm going to go find me a honey bucket. State fairs, they're rolling out. If you find a honey bucket, state fair, get on it. My only ask from the show is this. Is that y- you would use the hashtag also tag the show. Tag PrivyCast, at PrivyCast. Flood Honeybucket fans with PrivyCast. What's also interesting on Honeybucket, and I got to admit, I looked at some of that Honeybucket merch and there might be a purchase coming my way. But man, the Honeybucket merch is real good. Like they got some strong offerings here. But Honeybucket also offers a digital mixtape titled Sweet Honeybucket Jams Volume 2, which can be viewed on their site. It's it's a mixtape, uh, but it's a weird thing for a porta potty company to offer. They're they're kind of like the the edgy hipster millennial porta potty company, in my opinion, or like the cool uncle porta potty company, maybe. Ironically, though, though there are many honey buckets in Alaska, they do not offer honey bucket porta potties in Alaska. And you know where else they don't offer honey bucket porta potties? One that could have used one last week is Coney Island, New York. This brings us to a special segment of Poo in the News and our yearly coverage of the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. Now, 
This coverage in the article written about it is brought to us by CNN covering the Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest. And I need to tell you, Mr. Chestnuts did it again. Joey Chestnut ate 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes. For those who suck at math, that is about six hot dogs a minute. Or if you want to break it down, about one every 10 seconds. It's insane. Sometimes I want to sit down and see if I can just just scarf down one of these gliz nasties in 10 seconds just to see if I could do one. Like, I, there's no way I could keep pace, and my tum tum would get far too full, and the nitrates would just wreak havoc on my whole sitch. But, like, it makes me wonder could I eat one in 10 seconds? I might test this out. Joey Chestnuts did this for the 16th time, winning his 16th Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest title. Just had something fall. <laughs> um, Miki Sudo downed 39 and a half dogs to win the women's competition for the ninth straight time. Now, this Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest was marked by an, a, a lengthy weather delay to the point where they almost, and they even told some of the contestants that they were going to be canceling the contest. Joey Chestnut said afterwards that it was a roller coaster of a day. They told us it was canceled, and we weren't sure if we're going to eat today. And then he notes, I'm just happy. It's the 4th of July, and I got to eat some hot dogs. When asked how he felt afterwards, Chestnut said, I feel great. And he added, I've got leftover room, so I'll probably have some beers later. Joffrey Esper took second place with 49 hot dogs, which here, here's what I'm going to say. That's still 13 entire dogs behind Mr. Chestnuts. And Australia's James Webb took third with 47. The weather delayed the contest about two hours. And the event finally began at 2 p.m. The National Weather Service issued a special weather statement warning of strong thunderstorms, frequent cloud-to-ground lightning in parts of Brooklyn, specifically mentioning Coney Island. A possible injury to lightning may have occurred on Coney Island, according to preliminary storm report. And they said this responded to an, a call of an electrocution just before noon on Coney Island and transported a person to, to a medical center. So like they did have somebody that likely got struck by lightning. And so Nathan's famous rightly postponed the event for a couple hours. But but so they're sitting around and they're waiting and they've got these bastions of human eating waiting there to just fill their gullets with just big swassages. And when they all come out, the announcer is so hyped when he get the man who calls Joey Chestnuts to the stage is something else. I'm, I'm, I just want you to hear this. Are you ready? Fifteen thousand generations of humanity, yet we have evolved not at all. Bound like animals to the laws of physics, shamed before the universe. And in all of history, only one man has stood to say that he will dictate what is and is not possible in this world. I speak of this man. For he has broken reality, and all of time pours down around us now at once. 
simultaneous and endless, erasing cause and effect and opening all possibilities before us. And the ancient powers are subordinated to their own creation, and they smile at his achievement, and they say he shall live forever, for he does not do it for money, he does not do it for glory, he does it for his people, he does it for his country, he does it for freedom! And the gods shine down on us now, and the gods shine down on us still, because of him alone, because of him alone! The Nathan's famous 4th of July champion of the world. What a thing. It, you know, to have so much passion for the sport, uh, he really gives it his all. He goes for it. Um, and, and you know, you know that Joey hit the, the closest porta potty he could hit when that competition was done. Like, they got to be pushing through you pretty quick at that point. This has been another installment of Poo in the News. And this brings us to the end of another episode of Privy. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, it stinks in this porta potty. I've been in here far too long. You don't realize how bad a, a porta potty stinks until you sit in it far too long. Uh, we want to thank Kevin McLeod and Poddington Bear for the use of their music this week. Thanks, Kevin and Poddington. Uh, you can find the links to their music in the doodly doo below. Feel free to email us, privycast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media. We're at privycast. Don't forget to tag us. If you go for the porta potty with Honey Buckets Official, uh, make sure you tag the show so that way we can like kind of cross pollinate or whatever that. Feel free to follow Randy Bowles. Uh, it's where all the Randy Bowles live. And you can also follow the privies. Uh, it's the Facebook group for us. Leave us a rating or review. The five-star options are preferred, and every rating left will donate to the Wounded Warriors Project, reminding you to keep pooping in the free world, but that free world was not always free. This has been another episode of Privy. Fart proudly, own your stank, wash your butthole, and now, and, and I don't really know how I'm going to do this, uh, I, I think we're going to just leave it with the traditional sound of a porta potty flushing. But now... As always, don't forget to flush. <laughs>